0: All right, uh, John chapter 5, if you turn there in your Bibles. There's a, a new little weak sheep video, like music video. Our family saw it last night, and um, it's fun because there's some kids from the church in the music video. And so I think... Um, if possible, next week we'll, we'll show that after the worship, and it's just a short little thing, but it's, it's just fun to see that. We've always had music in our home. Um, my, my grandfather, who I never met, Grandpa Jake Renner, was a musician. Um, he played banjo and guitar, so I'm assuming it was kind of a bluegrass type of thing. I have one of his banjos um, that dates back to 1925. So that's cool. And then um, in our family, my wife, she took piano lessons when she was a kid, but never really did anything with it. And then, you know, as we started having kids, our first music experience was Soapbox, a three piece punk rock band who um, are. Oldest Son was a drummer and two of his friends, uh, guitar and and bass. And they really became kind of a big thing in Oak Harbor for a while. And and, uh, this is what back, it's been a long time. But uh, when Tooth and Nail, which was a music company out of Seattle, um, they were doing a lot of stuff. And so Soapbox was opening for different bands um, at the time like 90-pound wuss, <laughs> Roadside Monument, Roadside Monument. I felt like I was dying when I, when I because the, the guys were young. They were like 15. And so they're opening for these bands. And, and um, the, Josh said, Dad, we opening for Roadside Monument. And I said, oh, that sounds like a nice band, you know? And, <laughs> <laughs> and we went in. And they would play the bass so loud. I felt like I was dying. It was, it was so loud. I mean, it was like my heart was just like, boom, 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 you know. Anyway. And then, of course, with Weak Sheep, uh, being a part of our family, it's all family members, you know, and on this last album that Moriel did, Moriel and Nate, um, two of our granddaughters sang a little bit on it. So it's fun. I love that type of stuff. Anyway, am I bragging? I guess I am. Let's read the text, and then we'll pray. Verse 16, chapter 5. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making him equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these, that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And Father, we pray that as we look at These verses and the verses that follow, Lord, we ask, as we always ask, that you would teach us. Would you give us life application? Would you help us to appreciate who we are and what we have in you, Lord? Would you help us, even if we're familiar with the text, that we would approach it anew? So Holy Spirit, please speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you were with us last week, or if you're familiar with the text, you know that um, there was a man who, we're told in the scripture, he was lame. So we're not quite sure what that means. Um, But he was in this condition for 38 years, and he was there at the pool of Bethesda. He was waiting for the stirring of the water. There was this belief that an angel would come down at certain times, stir up the water, Whoever got in first was healed, and we talked about that last week. You could listen to the teaching on that if you're interested. Uh, of course, uh, Jesus healed him. Jesus asked him the question, do you want to be made well? And the man came up with um reasoned why he wasn't healed. You know, someone always slips in before I do, and I'm not fast enough. And I suggested that they were probably legitimate excuses, but but they were excuses. And so Jesus said to him, we saw this in verse 8, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. So uh, if, if the account would have ended there, we would have said, oh, here's another beautiful thing that Jesus did. He's so wonderful, you know, and he is wonderful. And he did and does beautiful things. But of course, the account goes on. Uh, there were those that were there. There were some Jews, perhaps some religious Jews are upset because the man is breaking the law. How is he breaking the law? Well, he's carrying uh, his bed. And, and we need to remember that this wasn't like a you know king-size, queen-size bed on his shoulders or anything like that. It was probably a bedroll uh, because he would carry this and he would uh, lay it down and lie on it. Maybe he would use it when he would be out begging for alms if he was lame. That's probably the only means of support that he could get. But here he is now carrying his bed, and he's confronted. He's confronted by the Jews, and they say that it's not lawful to do what he's doing, carrying his bed on the Sabbath. But of course, when you look at the text carefully, it's apparent that they really could care less about the Sabbath. They could really care less that this fellow was carrying his bed on the Sabbath. What they wanted to know is who said to you, once they, well, he who said to me, I was told to, I'm just following instructions, I'm just following orders, you know, he told me to rise up, take my bed, and walk. Uh, who is that man? And as we saw last week, the fellow had no idea who the man was. And that seems strange, doesn't it? Doesn't that seem like one of the first things that you would do? Especially if you were in a horrible condition, someone healed you, someone uh miraculously changed your life for the good, and you wouldn't stop and say, What's your name? Thank you. Thank you for doing this for me, you know. But he didn't know his name. And so Jesus sees him later in the temple area, and uh He talks to him, and the fellow gets his name. In verse 15, that's where we left off last week, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And so that's why they wanted to persecute Jesus. That's why they wanted to kill Jesus, not just persecute Jesus, but kill Jesus. So in our text today, we see two reasons why they wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus because he had done these things on the Sabbath, and secondly, they wanted to kill Jesus because he was making himself equal with God. Now, that's important to the text. In fact, that's probably the more important part of our text today that Jesus was making himself equal to God. We know from the other gospel accounts and even John's gospel account that there were other reasons why they wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus because they didn't like Jesus. <laughs> They were jealous of Jesus. They didn't like the fact that Jesus was constantly shaking up things, you know, and and, and going against the tide of, of, you know, the religious establishment and all. And so they wanted to get rid of Jesus. And I think it's worth noting that they did not persecute, they did not prosecute the one who technically broke the law. By carrying his burden, a burden, on the Sabbath. The formerly lame man. Jesus just simply spoke words. So where in the law do we see it's unlawful to speak words? Nowhere. It's breaking the law. And again, as I mentioned last week, we don't find this in the scriptures. We don't find this in the law. But we find this really in the interpretation of the, of the Pharisees, for the most part, their interpretation of the law. You know, you can't do this. You can't do that. They put all these you know, restrictions on people. This is breaking the law. If you do that, this is breaking the So they had no interest in, in um, dealing with the man at all. He simply went his way. In fact, I almost wonder, when you read the account, you know, once he came and said, uh, you know, it's Jesus, he's the one, he's the one you're looking for. I don't think they were surprised to hear that it was Jesus who had done, been doing these things and done this thing for him. But you just kind of picture, what did the guy do? He just, you know, drops his bed and walks off and lives his life and whatever. And now all the heat's on Jesus. You know, guys, um, People are turned off toward religion. I was. Man, when I was a a young person, and and I started at a fairly young age, I think when I was probably 13, I started thinking, boy, there must be something else. There must be something more. I had a, a, a desire for spiritual truth or something spiritual in my life, and You know, being raised a Catholic, Roman Catholic, going to parochial school, all the restrictions and all of that. And yet everyone I knew, I didn't know one Catholic kid that I hung out with that wasn't doing what I was doing, partying and and just living the life and doing things. And as long as you go to confession on Saturday and communion on Sunday, man, you're good. You're golden, you know. But I'll tell you, I early on I thought there's got to be more there's got to be more and sadly because Catholicism was the expression of Christianity that I knew the only expression of Christianity that I knew I thought well I guess Christ isn't the answer and so then I started looking into other things and and that's when I got involved in a lot of the isms and you know, the Eastern meditations and philosophies and things like that. And those things just leave you empty because there's really nothing to it. I mean, it just... But it wasn't until later, you know, people started sharing the gospel with me. And for the very first time, you know, I'm a teenager. I'm hearing the gospel that Jesus died for my sin. No, I knew he died for my sin, but that I could be saved by placing my faith in Christ and it's not a matter of being baptized a Roman Catholic or anything else. It's a matter of faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Really, that's the gospel? Now, that was appealing. And then I started meeting people who were truly born again, born of the Spirit. And you know what? They weren't doing what I was doing. They weren't living the same life I was living. They were different. They were They were truly following Christ, and they seemed to have this joy that I didn't know anything about, and they had this peace that, oh, I longed for so desperately, and they also had a relationship with the Lord where they would use terminology almost as if Jesus was their friend, which was so foreign to me. But, you know, when you read the scriptures, you realize where they get that terminology and that understanding For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him. They sought to kill him. We see that in verse 16. And then verse 18, they sought to kill, uh, uh, all the more they sought to kill him in verse 18, because he made himself equal to God. Now, I've met people, you might have met people, I hope you're not one here today, that say things like, uh, nowhere in the Bible does Jesus ever claim to be God. I always wonder, I always wonder when someone says, you know, where do you get that that Jesus doesn't claim to be God? Well, he, well, yes, he's God, but and they'll come up with all these strange things and yet the Bible teaches that Jesus is the incarnation. So he is the flesh and blood of God. That he came to the earth, he is God. He's not a good man or a perfect man, he's not a prophet. He's God in the flesh. Remember he's Emmanuel. God with us. And yet there are people, they'll they'll say, Well, I don't think that Jesus ever claimed to be God. And yet, when you look at the text, the text that we're looking at today, when Jesus said, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working, the Jews who were listening to Jesus understood exactly what he was saying. And that's why they sought to kill him all the more. He's making himself equal to the Father. That's blasphemy. He deserves to die. He can't make claims like that. It's interesting, you know, the Sabbath, sometimes it it seems like, and I'm emphasizing the word seems because I don't think that this was true, but it seems like Jesus did things um, deliberately on the Sabbath so that he might get a reaction out of the religious leaders. Um, you know, I mentioned uh, music, you know, we've always had music in our home and, and we've always, uh, I would take uh, Joshua when he was younger, we would go to different concerts and all of my kids, they, you know, you, they have this history of, of music that dates back you know, to the 60s, some go beyond that, you know, and, and they know bands, and, they'll, and sometimes, you know, they'll stump me, and they'll say, hey, Dad, do you know, da-da-da-da, and I say, oh, I don't know. What, well, Dad, what? You don't know who this is? And then they'll draw the, connect the dots, and I had no idea, you know, and they're always educating me on things. But I was thinking that when I first became a Christian, you know, uh, music was a big deal. You can't do that in church do what you can't play those things and 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 if you play that thing you need to keep it down and and you can't sing with passion because that's just being showy and 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 again for us today we think what are you talking about you know guys I remember when I first got saved I I remember um you know I've told the story you know, I wanted to be right with the Lord, and so I conformed to the people around me. I had long hair, and they said, it's not right for a man to have long hair. So I cut my hair. After one of the guys showed me Jesus with a crew cut, I did not get a crew cut. Because when I got crew cuts, when I was a kid, I did something wrong. <laughs> that's, why that's why the crew cut always was connected to that. But but it was, I, so I cut my hair, I I, I bought a dress jacket and some slacks and a tie, and I, you know, wanted to do what I was told to do, and pick up your hymnal. There's nothing wrong with hymnals. There's some beautiful hymns, you know. But you know, guys, that uh, the Lord did st- did, he didn't did stop inspiring music, Christian music, in the 1800s. You know that, don't you? Some people forget that. Yeah, we've got to get back to those hymnals, you know. We've had people that have come to church here. They absolutely hate our worship. Some would sit out in the car until the worship was done, and then they would come upstairs, and they'd talk to me about it, and I'd respond the same way. I said, I would say, I'll tell you what. When the church starts worshiping you, You could tell us what worship you prefer. (laughs) But until then, we're worshiping the Lord. And there's going to be different expressions of that worship, you know. Of course, all with order and structure to it. There's this religious mentality you need to do this, you need to do this this way, you can't do that, you can't, and this is how it is, and you can't. And, and again, from our perspective, guys, because things have changed so much to where now we're almost on the other side of the angle where we're, trying to, or, or where we're trying to pull things back in and saying, you know what, I don't think that's of the Lord. What you guys are doing there, that's not really of the Lord. This is really going into the whole Eastern you know, stuff. You know, the holy laughter, well, the gurus that I was dabbling in were talking about holy laughter in the 60s. This wasn't the, this wasn't the, you know, the world copying the church. What we've seen is the church copying, copying the world, or really not just the world, but the demonic influences, some of these other things. But we need to be careful because we say, well, we're so open, so free and everything. Well, things should be done biblically and, and, you know, according to Scripture. But we need to understand that during this time there was so much confusion. Jesus, you're breaking the law. How did I break the law? Because you told that guy, well, there's no law that says I can't speak. There's no law that says I can't heal technically the only law that's been broken and even that has not been broken is has been broken by the man who picked up his bed mat and walked off and Jesus says listen you need to understand the sabbath the sabbath the sabbath there are still people today that get caught up in the sabbath christian i i remind you of this quite often christians Please don't say, because you sound so ridiculous. When you say, Yes, I keep the Sabbath every Sunday. Oh, gosh. It's embarrassing when Christians do that because the Sabbath is not Sunday. It's never been Sunday. You cannot change the Sabbath to be something that is not. Sabbath has always been, will always be Friday sunset till Saturday sunset. That's Sabbath. But you see, the church wants to adapt these things and say, yes, we keep the law and we keep the Sabbath and everything, and it's because we worship on Sunday and everything. And, and I'll tell you, anyone that's done any reading whatsoever, they will look at us and they'll say, these people don't know what they're talking about. That's religion. And people are turned off by Religion. Jesus says, my father has been working until now. In essence, he's saying, listen, father doesn't take a break. He doesn't need a nap. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall never, neither slumber nor sleep. Psalm 121. The Sabbath was made for man's benefit. And really it was made for Israel's benefit. For the Jewish people's benefit. Some of you may say, no, that's not the, that's the word of God. That's the word of God. guys. When you fall into that trap, you need to go back and read Galatians and you need to read Romans and you need to, because remember what Paul was dealing with this very issue. Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ. And they're saying, Well, okay, I gotta keep the Sabbath and I gotta keep the festivals and I gotta, I gotta get circumcised. And Paul's saying, No, 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 no. None of those things are applicable to you. The Sabbath is not, the feast, the festivals, the circumcision, no, none of these things apply to you. They apply to Israel. They are a sign, they are a symbol of a greater thing. You are the fulfillment of all of those things. And see, we need that that biblical mindset. And Jesus was constantly teaching, constantly teaching. He says in the text that we read this morning, that, um, that there is judgment coming. He tells us that the Father doesn't judge, but he's given all judgment to the Son. And you know the Bible, when we look at the Bible, we know that there is a judgment that's coming. In fact, there are two judgments that are coming. One judgment is the Bema Seat. The other judgment is a great white throne judgment. No non-believer will stand before the Bema Seat of Christ. That's only for the believer. No believer will stand before the great white throne judgment. That's only for the unbeliever. Judgment is coming. He spoke about raising the dead. Look what it says in verse 22, or let's see, verse 21. For as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. He's speaking of resurrection. You say, well, how do we know he's speaking of resurrection? Let's look on at the text that we did not read. Most assuredly, verse 24, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Oh, by the way, there's everlasting life for everybody. Everlasting life with Christ, everlasting life without Christ, everlasting life With Christ, if you've placed your faith in Christ, everlasting life without Christ, if you've not placed your faith in Christ. Anyway, the text goes on. Me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And it goes on and it speaks of resurrection. So there is a judgment. There's a judgment for the, for the righteous and the unrighteous, for the saved and the lost. There is eternal life. There is eternal life for the saved and for the lost. There is eternal life for the saved, eternal life with Christ, uh, for the unbeliever, eternal life without Christ there is a resurrection. In fact, Jesus goes on in this text to speak of four resurrections. And we're going to look at that quickly because I'm, I'm already running out of time. You know, guys, as Christians, many times we, we, we just don't stop to think about things <laughs> and, and to ponder things. And, you know, there's kind of this, this mindset, you know, um, what do we say when someone dies? Well, they've gone to a better place. I wish someone would press us on that. Where? Tell us about that better place. How do you get to that better place? Who goes to that better place? Why is it a better place? Why do you say it's a better place? See, so we need to think through these things. Or we say, they've gone home. Well, that's kind of the way we talk as Christians, because we know that our citizenship is in heaven, so heaven is truly our home. But again, do we really stop and ponder that? And there's kind of this mindset, sadly, even among Christians, that you live your life, you die, and then you're in heaven. But is that what the Bible teaches? Nehemiah and I were talking about this right before the service started. And, you know, there's a lot of things that are missing, like um, the return of Christ (laughs) and the thousand-year reign of Christ on planet Earth and all the promises given to Israel being fulfilled. The borders of Israel, when you look at a map of Israel today and you have this sliver of a country about the size of New Jersey, Surrounded by enemies all around, you have the Gaza Strip where they're, you know, lobbing missiles in, and and Lebanon and and Syria and all. Well, biblically, the borders go from the Mediterranean Sea to Euphrates River. I mean, the map is a lot different than what we see now, and that will be fulfilled. It will be a time the thousand-year reign of Christ. Well, Christ will reign upon the earth for a thousand years. I mean, I've met lots of Christians. It depends on your your eschatology. There's a lot of all millennials. It's uh, it will all work out in the end, you know. There's no details. I don't really. I'm not concerned about the details, you know. And they don't believe that there will be a thousand-year reign of Christ, but there will be a thousand-year reign of Christ. The Bible says, for the Christian, absent from the body, so that speaks of death, present with the Lord. What does that look like? The Bible speaks of the resurrected body. The resurrected body is not God just putting our body back together. It's a new body. It's a heavenly body. It's a body that will never perish, where mortality is no more. The teeth of that body, if we have teeth, will never rot. (laughs) The arteries of that body, if there's any arteries in that body, will never clog. Um, That body will never get sick. That body will never lose its hearing, or its ability to speak, or its eyesight. You say, wow, that's, that's interesting. But we were talking about this between services. And I said, and and you know what, Nehemiah? The Bible ends, the book of Revelation ends with a question mark. Because see, we don't even know what's beyond that. Do you realize that? You say, I don't like not knowing. Listen, <laughs> if we trust the Lord, it's I don't know what it is, Lord, but I know it's gonna be great. You might be saying, what are you referring to, Dan? Well, the old heaven and the earth, old earth have passed away. They are no more. And he creates a new heaven and a new earth. You say, why? Lord, why would you do that? Who's gonna be on that new <laughs> that new earth? Under that new heaven. What's that all about, Lord? And you can almost picture Jesus saying, You'll just have to wait and see. Guys, it's glorious what's in store for the the believer. In verses 24 through 29, Jesus spoke of four different resurrections. The first resurrection speaks of the spiritual resurrection of the lost. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in me who sent me has everlasting life. Note that. Has everlasting life. Speaks of being born again. Being saved. And shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And I suggest to you that that speaks of a spiritual resurrection. You might be wondering, where do you even get that? Well, there's a number of scriptures we could look at. But but in Ephesians alone, Ephesians, and I'll just pull from one chapter. In Ephesians chapter 2, the, the author, of course, is the Apostle Paul. And he says, and you he made alive. He's speaking to believers. And you he made alive. Alive. It's assuming that we needed to be made alive. And the verse goes on to explain. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. See, it's a spiritual resurrection. It's, it's that old life passing away, becoming new in Christ Jesus. This is why many of us love that, that um, description that Jesus gave to Nicodemus. You must be born again. We say, oh, that beautifully, That that's a beautiful picture. Those words describe what's happened to someone who's truly come to faith in Christ. My life has changed. I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. I'm not perfect. I still struggle with things. I could still, you know, rebel against God. It's not like I'm, you know, controlled now by the Spirit of God. But, but I have... A new life in Christ. I don't have to live a life of sin. I get Jews, though. I'll reap the consequences. But I don't have to. At one time, I was in bondage to sin. Paul says to the Romans, At one time, we were slaves to sin. Well, a slave has to obey its master. But he says, But now in Christ, you've been set free. You're a new creature. And he made alive, and you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. The same chapter, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I hope that every person in this room and listening, or downstairs listening, watching, I hope that you've experienced that spiritual resurrection. If you haven't, you need to place your faith in Christ today. Believe in him. Live for him. Ask him to fill you with this Holy Spirit to empower you to live the life that he wants you to live. The second resurrection that Jesus mentions is found in verse 26, and I believe it speaks of his own resurrection. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself. Guys, remember Jesus, you know, he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The lamb, there's certain things that would connect with the people at that time. We need help, but they would, it would connect, you know, lamb of God. Well, what is the purpose of a lamb? Well, the purpose of a lamb, you know, you might have a little lamb as a pet. They're so cute, aren't they? When they're just bump, jumping around and everything. They're not the smartest animal, but you know, you protect them and take care of them and everything. Maybe you're not going to eat them, you know? But I'm telling you, back then, when you think of a lamb, you're thinking of sacrifice. You're thinking of death. You're thinking of, we were talking to some folks that used to attend here. We met with them yesterday for lunch, and uh, they were here at the first service. We're talking about some of our grandkids that, who had uh, chickens and how the chickens for our grandkiddos, they were like pets. They all had names and, you know, they would climb up on their laps <laughs> and they would pet them and everything. And, and so when the chickens had to go bye-bye, that was a difficult thing, you know, because I was like a pet to them. You think of the Hebrew family, Passover's coming. Get that little ewe lamb. You might keep it in your house. Remember the story that was told to David when David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and the prophet came with a story. It was a fabrication. but He talked about a man who had a little lamb and he loved that little lamb and that little lamb was like a daughter to him and that little lamb drank out of his cup. That always, you know, for someone like me that kind of gets a little squeamish about germs, to think of a little lamb (laughs) drinking out of your cup, I want to say gross. But the description is showing something that's that's dear. This is like a pet of mine. And someone took my pet and killed my pet so that they could eat my pet. But for the Hebrew family, they would take that little lamb and they would have that lamb in their home and the children would be petting that lamb and they want to treat the lamb as, you know, something despised. And then they would take that lamb up to the the temple. And that temple, the the priest would take that lamb and slaughter that lamb. And again, in our culture today, because we, we just look at things so differently than the rest of the world has forever. We say, oh, that's a shame. And it was God saying, no, that's a picture of my son. Do you understand? It happens over and over again. It doesn't happen once. It happens over and over again. It happens for every family. Because my son, his death, his blood is sufficient for every family. Every, everyone needs to partice, uh, partake of, of him by faith in Christ, you know. <laughs> But Jesus, he lays down his life. He takes it up again. Remember what he said, no one can take my life from me. He wasn't being arrogant. He was just simply speaking the truth. I lay my life down. And if I lay my life down, I'll rise it up again. The third resurrection is the future resurrection of believers. Look at verses 28 28. And 29, not all of verse 29, I'll stop, you'll see why I'm stopping. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life. I think of my mother, I think of Tracy's mom and dad, I think of many people that we've known, over our lifetime, that had placed their faith in Christ, and they've gone home to be with the Lord. And um, a time is coming when Jesus will come in the air. I don't believe it's at the second coming. I believe it's at the rapture of the church. And um, the first thing he'll do, and I'm reading now from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Do you remember the context of that? The believers in Thessalonica, they were concerned. They said, my, my mother, my, my, my brother, my, my sister, our neighbor, they believed in Jesus. They loved the Lord, but they died. Is it too late for them? Is there any hope for them? They died before the Lord came back after all. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. We don't mourn as others who have no hope. Jesus is coming, and he will raise the dead first, and then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. You guys know that part of the text. But remember, the the main part of the text, it's like that was an added that was like a, oh, by the way, <laughs> for those of you that are alive, when the Lord comes back, you're not going to experience death. So you're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Glorious. It's beautiful. The fourth resurrection is a resurrection of the unbeliever. And we find that in the end, at the end of verse 29. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of the condemned, or Of condemnation excuse me this resurrection involves only the lost it will take place this resurrection will take place before um, the new heaven and the new earth let me just read from Revelation for you Revelation chapter 20 it says then I saw a great white throne and he the he there was Jesus who sat on it from whose face the face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them that is the earth and heaven and i saw the dead small and great standing before god and books were open and another book was open which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their deeds now we might say well wait a minute i thought that i thought that we were saved by faith and faith alone, not deeds, not works. That's true. This isn't the resurrection of the righteous. This is the resurrection of the unrighteous. This is the resurrection of the lost. You need to understand this. God is so fair, so fair, even at the great white throne judgment. The arrogant man, the self-sufficient woman, who says, I've been a good person. I've lived my life in integrity. I, 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 I will one day stand before the Lord, and he'll open the books. Oh, I, I see you uh, <laughs> visited the orphans and the widows. Very good. Wonderful oh, you you put some money in that little red uh, canister, you know, the Salvation Army thing. That's good, wonderful, wonderful. we will go through. Bring the Book of Life. I'm sorry, your name's not found in the Book of Life. That's not fair. Guys, listen. I don't want to toy with this. The message of the gospel is this. We are dead in our sins without Christ. No one has any hope without Christ. We are hell bound without Christ. We could pretend, we could play, churches do it, pastors do it, all around us, even in this community, there is no hell There is no eternal life for the non-believer. The non-believer will just one day die and cease to exist. And all of these things, and if you're not paying attention, you're not realizing that they are lies from the pit of hell. Because the non-believer, I'm telling you, the non-believer could care less if he or she dies and then is no more. What difference does it make? But if the non-believer came to believe what the Bible teaches... That there is a judgment. That they will have to stand before the Lord one day and give an account. That there is a resurrection for the non-believer. And that resurrection is a resurrection. It's referred to as the second death. It is the resurrection of condemnation. It is eternal damnation. It is the place that Jesus talks about. Where the worm never dies. Where the flame is never Extinguished. It is a place of suffering, of gnawing, of teeth, groaning. You say, that's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. God is mean. This is why we need to be people of the word of God. On Wednesday night, you know, we're, we're looking at lamentations. And I'll tell you, lamentations is heavy. You know why it's heavy? Because it's the aftermath of of Israel's disobedience. But was God fair? God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to the people. God didn't say, I'm giving you a warning, it's Monday and Friday judgment is coming. No. It was decades of time. And God was long-suffering And he says, repent, stop, don't do this. And then finally, when judgment was pronounced, he told them even then, you're going into judgment. The Babylonians are coming. They're going to sack the city. They're going to destroy the temple. They're going to take the things of the temple. But I'm telling you, this is what you need to do. You need to surrender to the Babylonians. And even then, the rebellious people said, we're not doing it. We're going to fight. Remember the king? Jeremiah spoke to him. He says, listen, your life will be a treasure to you if you surrender. No. I'm a man. Remember what happened to that man, the Babylonians? They gouged out his eyes. Hmm. So much for being a man. The point is, is that God is so long-suffering and so patient. And for those of us that are believers, what is the question that we ask the Lord more than any other question? We say, Lord, what's taking so long? Lord, why aren't you here yet? Lord, we thought that you were going to be here long before things got this bad, Lord. And we need to remind ourselves, Christians, we need to remind ourselves, the Lord is long-suffering not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The the Lord is so long-suffering. And aren't you glad, Christian? I'm so glad that the Lord didn't come back, you know, in the 60s or even the mid-70s. I'm so glad that the Lord is long-suffering and patient because he doesn't want any to perish. But the fact of the matter is, the book of Lamentations is this reminder, this gruesome, sad reminder of God saying, you brought this upon yourself. It did not have to go this way and still the arrogance of man oh god you, uh, you you know and it's like the lord is just so long suffering and so patient and i'm telling you if you've been holding out if you've been shaking your fist and you're convinced you know god is so cruel and this is why god's doing that and god's doing that you know why does god have such an issue about sin and da 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 you know and you look at the world that we live in and you look at the results of sin is it a pathetic? I, you know, I, would mentioned to the first, first service and the prayer meeting. You know, this this new drug that people are taking—a mixture of a tranquilizer, I think, a horse tranquilizer, and and uh, what's the other one? Fentanyl. And you, you know, you see them in places like uh, uh, Philadelphia, and the people—they're—they're they're bent over, and they stay in these conditions. I was listening to some testimonies of people that have taken this horrible drug. They call it the zombie drug. And these people, their backs, their bodies, are, their bones are just because they've been in a bent condition for a long period of time because they have no control over their body. Oh, God, why do you have an issue about sin? And He says, look what it does to people. I like the devil better, you know. He's a partier. He likes to have fun, you know. And look what he does to his own. And this is, the, this is what we're, I mean, we're, we're in a world where we're, we're seeing the contrast, uh, you know, between the two. It is so real. It's so vivid before us. And I'm telling you, if you're holding out, if you have not placed your faith in Christ, you need to consider these things. Jesus is coming. You know, there was a day for Judah for Ju- uh, Judea, excuse me, and Jerusalem, when the Lord said, done, they're coming, nothing's stopping them. They're coming. And there is a day of judgment. It's called the great tribulation or the tribulation. It's coming upon the earth. Jesus describes it as a time like no other time. Daniel describes it as a time like no other time. We can't even imagine what it's going to be like. It's going to be so horrific. And no doubt there will be people who will be shaking their fists. Oh, God, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And it's time for us to grow up and to say, look at how patient God has been. How wonderful. Let us share the gospel with people. Let us give hope to people. Stop resisting the Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Does that sound like hatred? That's love. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus said. You're my friends if you do what I command you. What do you command us to do, Lord? Tell us, what's, what's the task? What's the heavy burden that, that we need to do? Tell us, what is it? Believe on me and you shall be saved. Place your faith in Christ. Would you stand with me, please? We pray, Father, that you would give us boldness to share the gospel. We pray for the power and witness of your spirit when we're sharing the gospel with people, that you would move upon the hearts of those who hear, just like, Just like we did, Lord, some of us, we resisted so strongly until the day we stopped and we surrendered. And thank you for that day, Lord. We pray, Father, for the people that are are just ensnared in drugs and uh, other things that have just really taken control of their life. It's so sad, Lord so sad to see what the enemy does to his own but we pray father that we would be witnesses of life and hope and salvation in christ we believe these things we pray that others would come to faith in you in jesus name amen Amen.